0: the street. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was the ad. Table of Contents, Episode 3, Cross the Stream Podcast. Kip and Kane own coming at you with a great interview segment today. Wide receivers coach, University of Hawaii, Kofense Henson, also a former Willamette University Bearcat that spent time with Kip at, on campus in Salem. We'll get Kofense's cross the stream moment uh, and dive into his coaching journey, which is one of the more unique ones in college football, all the stops he's been and the way he's gone about achieving some of his jobs. We'll also talk uh, with Kane about the reactions to Kofense's interview, and we'll have a way back win segment talking about camps it's summertime and summer camps football basketball youth camps church camps uh, just our memories on camps episode three cross the streams coming at
1: you
0: all right welcome to another segment across the streams podcast interview time today lucky is obviously a friend of mine out in hawaii coach k go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners what's
2: going on fellas my name is Kofense Henson. Uh, Coach White Receivers over at the University of Hawaii. And Kafense
0: was here same time as me. We overlapped two, three years here at Willamette. The first time I think we met in an intramural gym when you were still rocking the Raiders hat out of your loyalty. And I was like, who in the hell is wearing his stocking cap inside playing, playing hooping?"
2: That's exactly right, man. I was representing wearing my beanie in the gym in fact, when we had a, one of the most powerful NML basketball programs in the country. <laughs> the East Bay Funk,
0: the GM, we are talking to the GM of multiple titles, defeated the law school in a lot of big games, I remember.
2: <laughs> oh, we had a nice little run, man. Absolutely. We had a good run. Had a yeah. huge run. Had probably the, the biggest free agent signing in before LeBron James uh, <laughs> or deal yeah, happened when I signed Kip Ion. Oh. Yeah,
0: that was a great contract. It was player and organization friendly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Capenza. The thing I think the best thing for the audience first before we dive into some of your cross the stream moments is you've had an amazing coaching career, a journey taking you all over the all over the place. Obviously, you're in paradise now in Hawaii, but kind of go back. Start when when you were done playing at the Woo. How did you get where you good where you where you are now? Take us through the many stops you've had.
2: Man, so I, I finished plan. I uh, had a semester of school to finish and was done with my eligibility. So I, uh, I actually coached at Willamette. Started there, uh, Coach Beckman. You know, I Brown. You know, probably my freshman year of high school is when I realized I wanted to coach. So that was kind of always my plan. Um, coach Beckman at the time was the head coach there, and he kind of said, "Hey, you know, why don't you help out? Help help coach the receivers." Uh, I, I did not want to do that. So I was a defensive guy. <laughs> right. Hated receivers. Um, you know, he said, hey, it'll be good for your career to coach on the other side of the ball. He, you know you know defense, learn some offense. Um, so it was good, man. I started there, coached there, um, was able to kind of parlay. And you know, a guy who had coached at Willamette was uh, coaching at Quincy University, a small NAIA school uh, in Illinois, brought me over there. So I was there for about two weeks, <laughs> and then I got a chance to uh, go to Boise State. And so um, Dan Hawkins was the head coach there. He had some alignment you know, at coached yep. at Um had some connections there. So I kind of got, I guess, my break um, in Division One football, going to Boise State and working as a football hops guy. And I was really like a recruiting intern, kind of assistant. Um, did some grad school there. Was Hawk the uh, was head there coach for...
0: there then, or was Pete the head coach? Yeah.
2: Uh, Dan Hawkins was the head coach. Coach Peterson was the offensive coordinator. Okay. Um, Brian Harson was there. I mean, it was oh, like, an incredible staff. Yeah. I mean, it was it was um, you know for me it was like getting a master's degree in football. Um, it, it was pretty cool just working with guys there. I mean, there's there's some guys there that have gone on to do some really great things, and there were a few head coaches on that staff yeah. and uh, future head coaches, future coordinators, um, you know. I mean, that that group when I was there was was pretty incredible. Even some of the guys that that were players, that were seniors on that team, are all coaching and coordinators, some Mm -hmm. head coaches, NFL coaches. So it was a really cool think tank of football. Um, From a knowledge standpoint, it was great. Um, I kind of wanted to get on the field and actually coach coach. Yeah. So after a year there, um, I got an opportunity to coach running backs at Minnesota State, Mankato. Um, Was there for a year and uh, got an opportunity from there to um, move kind of back to the west coast and go coach at western washington to play football uh, so i was there as the running back coach special teams coordinator got promoted after my first year to offensive coordinator quarterbacks and receivers um, was there for two years as the coordinator and then one day they decided to drop football yeah. so uh i was looking for a job and uh ended up at yale Ended up taking a job at Yale, coaching receivers, um, which was a great experience. Ivy League was great. Um, enjoyed coaching there and, and working there, and uh, the football was great. Um, the kids were awesome. Was there for three years. Uh, was there as a receiver coach my first two years, and then got promoted to be the offensive coordinator my last year there. Um, our head, we had a head coaching change after that year, so the new guy didn't keep me. So was back on the street looking for a job again, and ended up at the University
0: of Montana. In uh, full Kobe disclosure, degree. I don't know how Kane's going to handle that. But obviously, that was awesome yeah. that they got to go against each other. I wish Kane was on this interview; they can reminisce about scheming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, man, because I, you know, I grew up with some guys that were were Bobcats, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was pretty cool to, to be able to talk a little trash to those cats. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I was there for three years with the tight ends coach and special teams coordinator my first year. And then the last two, I was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Um, Tell Kane, we were two and one against the Bobcats <laughs> That's when, I was, right. <laughs> when I was there. Yep. Um, went, went back to Bozeman and beat them. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, so I was at Montana for, for three years. Head coach there, retired. Um, new guy came in, looking for, you know, had, a, had his own staff, a guy. So I was looking again. I uh, went to Norfolk State in Virginia, a historically black college, um, back in the uh, Hampton kind of
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, tidewater area. Um, first time living in that part of the country. was pretty cool. I uh, was there for a season, enjoyed it. And then I uh, got a chance to get out there to Hawaii, man. So, I, you know, I went from the West Coast to the East Coast, kind of back to the West, yeah. back to the East, and then came super West um, here. So... Uh, been here about a year been one season here with seven games our first year went to a bowl game so yeah um yeah man it's been quite it's, a little it's journey been, you hard.
0: are I mean, you got frequent flyer miles you got i mean how many for you <clears throat> just thinking of you know in my situation having been at willamette for all these years just the amount of Maybe anxiety is the wrong word but in your profession like you said all these coaching changes that are out of your control but absolutely impact your life your family's life your situation how have you what what's been your mindset have you learned how that's just part of the gig like how do you approach those holy cow we did this it was good now I, I got to get another job how has that worked for you
2: you know what i, I just try to focus on the stuff that i can control um, you know I just i want to be the best coach i can be and i want you know, hopefully when, when people hear my name and see my work, um, it, it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of have a, a faith, I guess, that no matter what happens, I, I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, I got a really patient wife. That was and, about to, that uh,
0: was my next question, boy, back behind the yeah. scenes, MVP. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. No, my, my wife's a trooper, man, and she likes new things. and My kids are the same way. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and with the world the way it is now, I mean, my kids FaceTime and, you know, yeah. they've got friends all over the country, man. And You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in Oakland, man. You moved to San Francisco, you'd never be seen <laughs> or <before> again. <laughs> right. But in, in today's world, I mean, you can, you know, keep in touch yeah. with people. So that, that that makes it easier. But, um, you know what, man, this is what I, I, I chose to do it, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I just, and I don't ever forget that fact you know there's other ways to make a living yeah Uh, but this is what I love and it's not work to me and the fact that I get paid to do it to me is awesome yeah Uh, you know and so I I don't you know I I guess that's just part of it for me but
0: professionally uh, for yourself like for you with all these stops is your resume like even we're talking about modern age stuff what is your resume on paper is your resume (laughs) hey here's the stats I mean look at what I mean you if it is it's a binder how, how do you go about selling yourself
2: Um, it is on paper. I do have a resume on paper, but I think in our profession, you know, a lot of it is just word of mouth and relationship based. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, now I say that, but the ironic thing about me is I've never worked for a head coach that I previously knew, which is amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, every guy I worked for, um, I kind of had a connection to, but didn't know that person Mm -hmm. directly. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I take pride in it. I mean, you know, um, for right or wrong a lot of this is the reason why people get hired is because of uh, you know relationships that may be genuine or not right Um, but but I think what has gotten me every opportunity that I've had has been just um, people recommending me and people Mm -hmm. um, researching researching my work right and um, it's kept me employed, and it's kept food on my family's table. No,
0: and that's, and that's um, like you mentioned, like even for for on the basketball side, you go to the Final Four and the NBC, NABC convention. It's a polo festival, and everyone's in a yeah. race to say, hey, I know you, please hire me, and it's not really merit-based. It sounds like you've been right. able to, and one of the things that I think is so impressive about you is you've been able to sell the merits of your football knowledge, your coaching ability, your communication style, um, like you mentioned, in various outcomes. Is that also interview-based? Do you feel like you're good in the room? when you when you do meet these people
2: well that's the thing I, I just feel like man if I can get an opportunity to get in front of a person
1: mm-hmm.
0: then
2: I, I feel really confident you know um, and, and who knows I mean sometimes it's just not the right fit I think people you know football especially and i don't know basketball might be the same but football is kind of like a cast system man.
1: like mm. he,
2: everybody's got to be a labeled something you gotcha. know, I'm a, he's a receiver guy he's a quarterback guy he's a d3 guy he's a yeah. spread guy he's a pro style guy um and so I, I think you know a lot of people go into interviews and go into you know these job openings with kind of a stereotype mm. of a person they have in mind mm-hmm. um and, and I don't know if that's the, the best way to do it, you know. Right. Um, I, I know that every opportunity that I've ever gotten, I, I, it was because I was able to sit down and, and uh, meet meet somebody and actually yeah. meet them. And I think I, if more of that happened in our profession, yep. I think um, I think we'd all be better off for it.
0: Yep. Absolutely. 100% um, so agree.
2: I, um, yeah. So, I you know, I... I try to be that way, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't really been in a lot of positions where I've been able to hire people, but when I have, I've uh, always kind of remembered how I how I got in mm-hmm. some of these places, so I, uh, you know, it takes some work and some due diligence, but I think, you know, if you want to win yeah, and you want to get the right people, I think that's the, the only way to do it.
0: Do you think looking back, like I remember you ta- us on campus vividly talking about Spec saying you had to go coach offense. You know, and being an off-conference yeah. performer, a defense, was that key, was that one of the key launching points for you, considering you spent most of your coaching career on the offensive side of the ball?
2: I've really spent all of it, uh, except the two weeks I was a coach. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, you know, what's funny, man, is, um, you know, when Speck told me that, he, he, you know, he didn't really harp on it. It was kind of a casual conversation he and I were having, but yeah. Um, but he was hundred percent right i mean just from a knowledge standpoint
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, it, it's enabled me to grow as a coach you mm-hmm. know and it, it's helped me in that room when i coach my guys um, on offense because i have a general idea of what the defense is doing yeah um and so i think it's just made me a well rounded football coach yeah um, you know i i don't know that you could just put my experiences in in one box mm-hmm. um, and i like it i like it that way yeah and i think that's that's You know similar life you know you you just want to be well-rounded and and diverse absolutely um, and i think you know it it has i think it's helped me a bunch um and i'm I'm really grateful for it because i've able to i've been able to carve out a career doing it Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, so it's been good. Uh,
0: speaking of, of career, to professionally, take a look, and for us on, on the Cross the Streams podcast, we're always trying to dig into successful people, interesting, well-rounded people like yourself. Can, can you identify one to two moments where the anxiety was pretty high in a choice you were going to make, and you said, you know what, I'm just going to do it? And it ended up being you know, one of the things we're trying to harp on, Kane and I, on the podcast is there's really not good and bad decisions, there's just decisions. And you either get, did yeah. the right one, or you got to go learn from the next one. And I'm going to give Hernando Planelles at Duke all the credit for that because I stole it from his speech, and it's been a motivator for me since. But can you think of moments like that for you professionally?
2: Sure. Yeah, I've, I've had a few. You know, when I um, when, when I took the job at Minnesota State, um, I had two places I could have went. And this is a true story. I I had a job opportunity at a Division II school in Arkansas, and I had one in Minnesota. And the sole reason why I took the one in Minnesota, and I'm ashamed to say it, is because they had a nicer website. (laughs) That was the only reason. Yeah. um, You know, and so... But but I guess I had a lot of people telling me, hey, why would you go there? You don't know anybody in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a D2 school, a small college. I wasn't making any money. Yeah. Um, but I went, you know, and, and when I went there, we, we weren't very good. And, uh, you know, I had some good players I coached, and the coaching aspect of it was, was fun. I was able to coach my own group, and that was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But um, I met a guy there who I coached with who – kind of got me connected with Tom Cable, who's the uh, mm-hmm. offensive line coach for the Seattle Seahawks. And, um, but one other thing that Tom Cable is, is he is a guru in the zone running scheme, um, which is, you know, strategically speaking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was able to, to connect with him through this guy I met at Minnesota State who I coach with, who's one of my better friends to this day. Um, But learning that style of football and being able to sit down with Tom Cable was like getting my doctorate in football Mm -hmm. because I was able to learn the nuances of something that was uh, really groundbreaking. And that
0: whole zone Uh, scheme, was that foreign to your previous football experience? Like just the knowledge? It was really
2: foreign to it. I mean, I kind of knew it, but I knew it the way you know, you know, know, your your ABC. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, it was basic knowledge that I had, and, and I didn't know it until I sat down and talked to him and um, you know, when you talk, and you're talking to Denver Broncos when they were rushing every year, they had a different running back rushing for buku yards. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a system of football that, that is really incredible, and it's, it's been something that I've kind of um, taken with me mm-hmm. everywhere I've been since. Um, but I guess that was a, a small example Absolutely. of taking a step where you don't know how it's going to work out once you get to that place, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not so much. Um, about the job as it is about the people that you're yeah. going to be around and the network that, that you kind of develop through those other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and if I don't go there, I don't I don't get that network and I don't get that knowledge and, and it, you know, I'm not the same coach today. Right. Um, and so that, that that was definitely one just from no, the perfect. football strategic part. Um, and then I would say the second part, man, it's just, you know, stepping away from uh, small college football and, and Kind of paying dues to to make it at the higher levels, I mean, right? You know, like I said earlier. I mean, you know, I'm a D three guy, man. I played small college football, um, and right or wrong, that, that's the label you get. Yeah. You know? And so there's some great coaches coaching at that level. Some of those guys want to do it, but some of those guys get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to get stuck, and and I took some chances and worked for free at some places and, and uh, racked up a lot of debt. <laughs> and um you know I, i'm i'm proud of, of the fact that i've been able to to coach division 1 football and, um and and it's nothing wrong with division 3 football it's just i yeah. think there's there's you know you got to break through the the glass ceiling so yeah. to speak
0: do you um, see yourself professionally where are you headed you know obviously you're a guy that's forward thinking always have been is it Division One? Is it dropping? Is it being a head guy at the college level anywhere? Is it trying to get into the NFL? I know you've had some experiences with the Lions and the Raiders and the Seahawks. Where where are you headed? You know,
2: I would love to coach in the, in the NFL. Um, you know, I grew up a Raider fan first and foremost. And it's
0: been a good renaissance for you football. last year. Then finally, you were happy yeah. in the fall. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think the last time we were relevant was when we watched the Super Bowl together. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Back in 2002, so right. it's, it's been awesome, man. But, but I guess I grew up watching that, and so that was always my dream: was mm-hmm. to coach at the pro level. Um, and I, I have been able to, to do some internships with some, you know, with five different pro teams, and um, I, I love the experience. I love the learning, the value of football, uh, the relationships with the players that still exist. You know, I, I think there's a misconception that at that level, guys don't want to be taught or coached. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't found that to be true. Um, through my experiences working at those camps. Um, so, yeah, man, that, that's my goal. Ultimately, I'd love to be a coordinator in the NFL and ultimately a coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's excellent
0: personally you know one of the things that we do on the podcast is talk about avenues and maybe inputs is a better word that we use in coaching that aren't necessarily from that store you go shop for for professional development you know what are things what's like a book you're reading what's a movie you saw what's something that you over the course of time or maybe even recently hey you would never think this helps a football coach but it did you know
2: i, I mean i, I read I, I try to read all the time um and so I'm always kind of just getting different ideas. and um, But I guess the biggest thing for me is just, you know, when I was first when I first got my first coordinator job at Western Washington, I was 25, I think. Um, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I was just coaching football and just yeah. talking X's and O's. Um, and the thing I realized real quick is you got to have a philosophy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just sat down and just said, hey, what do I want to base my philosophy on? What principles do I want to teach and preach? And, yeah. Um, and so one of the ones that's always stuck with me is just kind of servant leadership and just, um, you know, working with players and having them understand that we're really all in it together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think just serving the guys that, that, that you lead, you um, and, and just being able to, to teach that way and, and um, you know having empathy you know yeah. I, I think empathy is, is the key in life man I, I just um, and I try to you know explain the difference between that and sympathy to the guys and um, and as a coach and as a teacher and as a mentor you know if you got empathy then then you'll be able to make real change in people mm-hmm. um, because you'll you'll really know them and you'll know why they're the way they are physically emotionally spiritually mm-hmm. Um and so you know, and, and and you don't learn that stuff when you study football per se. I mean, right. I, I can get on the board and draw football and X's and O's all day, but um, if my ex isn't motivated to play because he's got issues because he's you know from um, you know he's seven hours away from home and yeah. he's out here on this island and and uh, I can't you know empathize with that then, then I'm not going to reach that kid. Yeah. I'm not going to get him to be be what we need him to be, and um, and so I, I just try to. You know, lead that way. You know, mm-hmm. just with a servant's mentality, and and uh, and just you know, preach empathy.
0: And do you think? And this goes back to our younger days when both of us were assistants at Willamette and, and thinking we knew everything. And I, I remember those vividly. <laughs> How have you evolved? How has your patience in terms of you know what we're not doing exactly what I think we should be? Has that evolved as you've gone through these many stops and you've seen you know you you've learned more, maybe educated yourself? Because I, I know as myself. Um, you know, I jumped from assistant to head, but looking back, it probably would have behooved me to go be an assistant different places just because me thinking I knew it all was false, you know? And and so how have you done? I know we're both headstrong individuals. So how how have you been able to maintain certain leadership roles, but also like you mentioned, having to be subservient to what the head coach is saying?
2: I I think that, you know, I, I was a coordinator at a really young age and, uh, a guy told me once nobody's really ready to be a coordinator, you just kind of get the job and you do it, mm-hmm. and then you figure it out. And And that that's really what happened to me. I mean, we, we got our heads beat in, and I realized that I, I didn't know it all. Um, and then I just kind of made it a point to study the people who were successful. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I study I study coaches. I study coaches. Um, you know, I, I, I look at them. I, I study why they do what they do, how they go about it. Um, you know and, and I'm gonna have my own way of doing it but yeah I, I, I want to know how other people are, are succeeding um, and so I, I think I've, I am more patient um, I got an appreciation for that chair for the guy who is the head coach because mm-hmm. I know how hard it is to steer 105 people in the same direction right um, not to mention your staff and support staff and, and all that um, and then I, I just understand you know I guess I have an uh, idea of the process of what it looks like year one, year two, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what these incoming freshmen are going to be like, what they're going to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. how they're going to act the first two weeks they get here, Um, because it's nothing's new. It's all happened before. You know, I'm a history major, you know, um, it's all happened before at some point in time. You know, technology has changed the world, but. Uh, the core principles and experiences that people go through are the same as they mm-hmm. were
1: mm-hmm.
2: years and years ago. And so I, I just, you know, I try to study situations and um, and make a note of them. And, and just, you know, I've developed a process for how I want to teach yeah. and coach and, and lead. And, um, and then you just got to have the flexibility to, to adapt. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Well, hey Kay, every time at the end of these broadcasts, we want to give our guests a chance. Is there a social media account people can follow you? The the the, Hawaii, the football teams account. How can people stay in contact with what you got going on and where you're headed?
2: Um, you know, Twitter is, is probably the best way. Um, my handle is at kafense, spelled just like defense but with a K. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at H. Um, what I'm doing and where I'm at and. Um, but yeah, man, I, I you know, shoot, I'm I'm always up for learning and, and yeah. reaching out to people, and so absolutely. Um, so yeah, man, that that's probably the best way to reach me.
0: Awesome. Well, that's that's a great segment with Coach Kofense Henson at the University of Hawaii football Bearcat alum, and I would list all your other places, but I, there are so many I can't. So we're just going to say where he's at now. Awesome reconnecting with a Bearcat friend of mine uh, across the streams podcast. We'll be back with our next segment. We'll bring Kane back in and remind him that he was 1-2 and two against K at the Cat Grizz game. <laughs> All right, back on Cross the Streams, episode three. Uh, Kane's reaction. He's joining me now after that interview with Kofense Henson, uh, wide receivers coach at University of Hawaii, former Bearcat uh, friend of mine here from Willamette. And Kane, so much to digest in Kay's coaching career. I mean, I've just got on my notes here. The man has worked Division Three, NAIA, D2, D1AA, big time D1. He's been running backs, wide receivers, special teams, offensive coordinator. And he's been in Oregon, Minnesota, Illinois, New York, Montana, Virginia, and Hawaii. I mean, goodness gracious. I had mobility, versatility. It's unbelievable.
3: It's That's what I came – I put this in quotations after listening. It said, everybody's journey is different. Everybody's yeah. journey in this profession is different. Here's a guy I can say that like you've named off however many different states, how many different schools, how many different levels. In mm-hmm. comparison to my own story, <laughs> right? one school – Yep. For 13-plus years as a coach, 17 as a, as a player and coach, and now yeah. I've just made my first move in the profession out to uh, Seattle, Washington to coach for the University of Washington. It's amazing how many different stories there are there are out there, how many different paths that every coach takes. And really, I'm sure that's the same way in a lot of different professions where it, there's certain guys that have worked for the same company 50-plus years, year, retire out of the same company, right. and there's other, other guys that – Jump ship every couple of years, and it's not, and none of it. A lot of times, as he even said, is is in your control.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought that that was really interesting. Tell me your reaction. You know, as a guy who's been in the position of staff members, say at Montana State, coming in and out, interviewing guys, et cetera, or even your own talking at University of Washington to get there, where he said he's never worked for a head coach he previously knew. That was amazing to me. That's got to be like a one of the most unique career arcs ever especially in art just coaching in any sport everywhere i go it's who do you know when do you know them and, and here's kofense with the opportunity that just get in a room and here's what i know about football you should hire me and it's worked
3: it, that jumped out a lot for me as well the simple fact that not knowing a single head coach that he's worked for going into it and me being in the business as long as i have and seen a lot of the guys that that have come and go from montana state and myself now making the move like you said uh, and grant i didn't know coach peterson to make the move over here but i i had to know of somebody on the staff to to get a, a chance at this opportunity and mm-hmm. so that's what's so crazy about this profession and there, there is as he said a lot of it is is relationship based as far as how you're you yeah. move from one spot to, to another and but for him it's been a combination of being a relationship based and merit based meaning that mm-hmm. once he got in front of his, the people that he did or got in front of that head coach got a chance to talk to that head coach on the phone, sit down with him in an interview room or in the, through the interview process, he was able to put enough on the on the board put enough in front of the head coach to make that head coach want to hire him and that to me is very impressive to be able to yeah. do that, especially within this business.
0: Absolutely. I thought it was really cool. And tell me what what, what you thought about it. His cross the stream moment, I thought was one of the bigger ones we've come across in terms of the choice maybe wasn't as as huge. Like, you know, he said, I picked uh, Minnesota because they had a better website. Uh, But that led to his meeting and building a relationship with Tom Cable. And then he talked about that being his doctorate in football, in the, in the running game, specifically zone schemes. Uh, that's a very that's exactly what I think we try to get out of these podcasts is sometimes jumping and crossing the stream can lead to something you, you never thought possible.
3: 100%. 100%. Tom Cable, just the fact that he got a chance to work with a guy with, with that type of name uh, within this profession is awesome. And to think where he got a chance to work with him, that's what's yeah. awesome about this profession that you never really know. And that's another thing I think that we're trying to get across on this on this podcast is you never know who you come across and who you interact with over the course of a day, over the course of a week, over the course of a year, two years working with this person, where that person may go and what you may be able to get from that relationship over the course of time. So don't take these relationships for granted Mm because you never know what you can get or the rewards that you can get from from certain relationships and, and crossing certain streams.
0: Mm-hmm. they have a very specific football question for you did you see a lot of zone from him a lot of zone scheme
1: because
0: <laughs> i know you heard that he um, was yeah, two and
3: one i know you heard that part oh i, I know i heard that and uh <laughs> and i'll touch on the, on that a little bit later but going back to that question as far as the the zone he that definitely when he was the oc or calling plays there was a definite inside zone um Tendency for sure. That was their mm-hmm. bread and butter when it came to the run game. So that was fun to hear that. That's kind of where he got his his philosophy from as far as the inside zone uh, run game is concerned. But as far as two and one, University of Montana <laughs> versus Montana State, the Bobcats and, and the Grizz, the Cat Grizz rivalry. That's what I think is so awesome about being a part of that rivalry. Is no matter how many years you're a part of it, one one game, two games, three games. In, in Confenses case, yeah however many games in my case you remember every one of those games mm-hmm. and every coach every player that's been a part of that rivalry can look back and go yeah i was two and one versus the cats or i was four and one versus the Grizz, or versus the grays or whatever your record may be uh, that's i think makes that rivalry so special and unique
0: Absolutely. And it, and it wraps up anybody that touches it. You know, my 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 lead assistant here at Blamette uh, University, Nathan Colville, played college basketball for the Grizz. And last year, when you guys beat him in the Cat Grizz game, boy, he had a tough week in the office. <laughs> he had a That's tough right. week because I didn't let him forget about it.
3: Exactly right. Exactly right.
0: <laughs> hey, talk about and I, I thought about you when Kofente was talking about his time at Boise State. Uh, under Dan Hawkins, uh, when Dan Hawkins assembled a, what sounded like a pretty amazing staff, uh, and he listed off, obviously, Chris Peterson, Brian and a, a bunch of different people, and he called it his master's degree in football in a think tank. Um, is that something mm-hmm. you've come across with various staffs at Montana State? Or even now, having jumped up into the Pac-12 with a, with, a, with Peterson's staff at University of Washington, do you feel that same kind of post-secondary education feel to what you're experiencing?
3: Yeah, hundred percent, man. Over the course of my time at Montana State, I've had so many different coaches that have come through there that uh, I have been able to take something from every one of them. That's the thing. Again, mm-hmm. cross the streams. You've you've got to be able to take something from every one of those relationships and every one of those uh, moments or time that you're working with certain individuals that that you you just get a feel for for guys right off the jump. Mm-hmm. And, Sure, you, you've felt that as well, where you just know certain coaches are going to go somewhere. Some, some, somehow, some way, they're going to make it somewhere, and you got to try and sit down and learn as much from as you possibly can. And I had the pleasure of, of working with a lot of coaches over my time at Montana State.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I thought to myself when he was saying that, because like you mentioned, I'm I'm a, one of those unique cases where I've been at the same school that I played at, mm-hmm. uh, but I've been able to take a lot not just from staff members, but also from people we go against. Yeah. um and obviously That's in this case Confency and you you know went head to head but yeah. I, I tell you what if I, if I could give a I could do a great clinic on things people have done that kicked my ass And I have a lot of names, but those are really smart people. And we've tried to incorporate things we couldn't guard or things we had a hard time scoring against from other coaches in my league or in non-conference games. And then I've I've finally found the nerve to call up people after seasons are over. Obviously, you want to get Mm -hmm. through the battles first and say, hey, you know, this coach from St. John's in Minnesota, what in the hell? How did you guys get you guys so efficient at dumps on drives to bigs? Because we we couldn't get our hands on any of them. Um, it's, it's Sometimes it's amazing what you can get from just reaching out to people, so yeah. I thought that think, the, the term think tank offense they had um, was, was really you know, apropos to what, what we all experience, and probably like you mentioned before, in all industries, bleeding information and making sure you scoop up as many crumbs as you possibly can. Yeah. Anything else that stood out to you that we haven't been able to touch on in our React segment?
3: Yeah, the one thing that I wanted to touch on for sure was just when he mentioned you have to have a philosophy.
0: As as we're wrapping up this React segment uh, on Coach Kofense, Hinson wide receivers coach, University of Hawaii Kane, I know there was something in there he mentioned that, that you really wanted to touch on because you experienced it too as a first-year coordinator.
3: Yeah, man, when he mentioned you have to have a philosophy, I felt like that was something that really hit home for me because I went through that same – type of situation as far as being promoted to a co-defensive coordinator position and get a chance, getting a chance to run a defense and thinking that I had all the knowledge in the world, had all the X's and O's, had it all figured out. and knew exactly what I wanted to do and realizing very quickly that you can know all the X's and O's you want, but if you can't get the X to play the for you, the way you want, or it doesn't matter. And so you have to yep. have a philosophy on on how you not only want to want to coach or teach, but also how you want to implement that that style and ways to touch and connect with your players. There's just so much more to it than just X's and O's. And I think having a philosophy, value based philosophy helps you become that coach or leader that you want to be.
0: Absolutely, and I, I would absolutely agree with that. As a guy that got the head job here in a college basketball program at age 29, I look back on myself and know that I was I was probably just checking off lists rather than working towards a goal, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just getting items done with really no – just throwing them up in the air and, hey, that sounds like a good idea, but there was no broad, arching philosophy to fit them all in and actually make them together. Uh, so, for, you know, both yourself and Kofensei, all, all young coaches or even coaches that are getting a, a chance in a new role with more responsibility, uh, I think it is absolutely imperative and, and much more comfortable to be that person when you have that philosophy to fall back on. No question. That's our reaction segment. A great interview with the wide receivers coach, University of Hawaii, Kefense Hinson. Uh, Jump back in the podcast, listen to Coach K, who's had a remarkable run at a number of levels, a number of locations in the United States, and now even off the main 48 in the paradise of Hawaii. Uh, Kefense Hinson, University of Hawaii reaction segment. We'll be right back with a way back win.
3: Cross the Streams podcast, Episode 3. Doing a way back when segment, and Kip just got done with his full week of camp. Full week of what yep, was it? Overnight yeah. basketball
0: camp. We got ten to sixteen year olds. We just finished up.
3: Awesome, awesome, great group of great age group there. Dude.
0: All kinds of different different ways they approach camp, boy. And your nephew was the youngest one there, so we can get to that later on how he fared. Dad.
3: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, but it got us thinking about camps in general sports camps mm-hmm. basketball football baseball camps soccer camps whatever camps that you may have got to gone to at a younger age and so we figured that'd be a great way back when segment to talk a little bit about our Just experience believe. camps and and uh kind of allow it to take it where we need to take it to so
1: mm-hmm.
3: i remember and i think we're probably we're probably
0: lucky because it's the first camp we ever went to our dad's
3: I was just going to say that, man. I, I I relate very well to Lincoln being the youngest kid in camp <laughs> because at a very young age, I was introduced to basketball camp at Skyview High School, Cage Camp, Skyview Cage Camp. Yep. And I was by far the youngest participant in every basketball camp for about the first however many years of uh, Skyview basketball camp.
0: <laughs> yes, and Dad. Dad was absolutely not going to let you stay home and play with toys. You had to go to camp no matter how much younger you were.
3: And we're talking a, a substantial age difference here. I mean, I'm I'm a young seven, eight-year-old kid. Yeah. And, you know, Kip's the ten-year-old, and they're in a ten to twelve age group, and here I am with the seven, eight-year-old Mark, and I'm playing against these grown men in my eyes.
0: <laughs> Isn't and that crazy? Like I the same point of grown men, so I've got the sixteen year olds, and maybe because we're getting older, they still look like kids. But when we were in camp, like you're saying, that first year, Jason Comerfelt, Dave Downer, all the Skyview class of '88 guys looked like Clint Eastwood to me. I mean, those were absolute <laughs> grown men.
3: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They were grown men. And here I was with my rolled-up sweats and, and cage camp hoop shirt with, that was too big because they didn't have small child sizes oh. for me. Yep. And I'm up there <laughs> running up and down the court, dribbling once or twice yep. and passing it to the nearest person I possibly could. And Pops yep. is cutting me zero slack. No, <laughs> Zero slack. <laughs> I get I get in there and I turn the ball over and pops is yelling at me. Come on, Kane, you're better than that. And I'm going, Dad, I'm eight years old. Nothing <laughs> more frightening than at uh, those
0: camps. Then was... Dad would say, Hey, you got to get better. You got to play up a level. Play up <laughs> with the older guys. You were like, What? Can I yeah. just stay with my friends and get a shot off? I would love that. <laughs>
3: Oh, that was that was good times, man. The the old Skyview Cage hoop camp or I forgot yeah. the exact title of it, but yeah, we I think were it we was was in super that hoop thing. cage camp. There you go. Super hoop cage camp.
0: I would jump to the Montana State basketball overnight camps because that might have been both of ah. ours' first experience with overnight camps. Overnight. You're gonna get your sleeping bag. You gotta pack your stuff. And I think they made us room together the first year. We had to be mm-hmm. roommates in Bozeman. And you're on your own schedule, like, what? Yep. Mom's gonna leave and we go we go when we wanna go places? And yep. you could order pizza. Remember Montana State would coach Mick Durham was the head coach then and for the Bobcats, and he would drive the the pizza truck would drive up to the dorms
3: when yep. the camp was
0: over, say nine thirty, and it was a free for all. Whatever <laughs> money or change you had, you could run out to that pizza truck yep. and get one yep. for the evening.
3: Yeah, the pizza truck, and then we had the had the uh, what was the convenience store right there it was right next to the laundromat oh. it's right next to the same block that spectators bar and grill is and i forgot <laughs> the name of it but that was the convenience store where you could go get ice cream snacks all the candy yep. in the world soda pepsi oh, And yeah. so here we are unleashed to the world yep with no supervision at night and Wow, yeah, good times to say the least.
0: I thought the coolest thing they did, and maybe where I'm 11, you're 8, and where I'm 12, you're 9, is in all of Brick Breeden Fieldhouse. They have bleachers or pushback, and I thought it was unbelievable that every basketball court at Montana State, even in that Old West gym, was mm-hmm. labeled Robbie. the name of a famous basketball court in the NBA. So, like, this was the garden. The yeah, main court was yeah. the forum. But you were Omni. so mad when you had to play wow. on a side court called the Omni or the Spectrum. You're like, man, yeah.
3: what well, the, the hell? All not the only did the game all...
0: today, this is nonsense.
3: <laughs> well, not only did you guys, the older teams, get to play in the in the you know, the forum or whatever awesome NBA stadium, you had NBA names. Yes, right? You you're NBA right. Names.
0: We gotta be the Lakers, the yeah.
3: Lakers, the Bulls or the Hawks. Meanwhile, my little teams were like the some ridiculous name, like the <laughs> Thundercats or some made up fantasy world team. We didn't even have real teams. We couldn't even be college teams because that was the, another age group.
0: Didn't they divide it into like this is the Frontier Conference age yes. group? This is the big guy. This is the NBA. Yeah. And yep. You guys didn't even get a conference. We weren't even
3: kids. We couldn't even be the Rocky Mountain Battling Bears. <laughs> Oh. We were the made-up Care Bears. I don't know what we were, but we we didn't have our <laughs> own deal, man. It was uh, disappointing, to say the least. But we battled through it, and we ended up taking home the chipper nonetheless.
0: At those camps, and it's still the same at, at like the camps that I'm running now, everybody wants to be named an All-Star. So uh-huh. at our camp here at Willamette, Pro Hoop Camp, you get to be playing the All-Star Game if you make it. At Montana State Camp, they had those blue tank tops that they'd put your name on the back of. And I tell you what, waiting that last day for them to announce your name and everybody out there listening, Kane got one a year before I made All-Stars, and I (laughs) never heard the end of it because I went with a bunch of my friends, and Kane got an All-Star nomination, and I didn't get a damn thing. And they were – it was David Gunn's probably listening. (laughs) Chad DeHaan, Jeff Jensen, Jensen, Mike Boyle were merciless, and Kane got a jersey your Magic Johnson t-shirt. What are you doing?
3: <laughs> oh, that's classic. Man. And that reminds me of, speaking of Mike Boyle and David Gunn, that reminds me of how merciless we were to everybody we came across in that camp. Just unleashing just the most random insults at just people that we didn't even know for no reason. Yep. Just being those guys at camp. <laughs> yes, those guys is out here they come. They've yes. got
0: something to say to me about I what I'm wearing, how I shot, what I ate at the cafeteria. <laughs> Yes, you. The three of them were a nightmare to encounter. The uh, and at Montana State camp, and I couldn't pull it off here at Pro Hoop Camp. I was told by HR there was no room for a Doctor Doom with oh, ten-year-old kids. But, but Montana State, the enforcer of all the rules and expectations at camp, was named Doctor Doom. And one year when I was in high school, Kane, you were probably just about to start middle school, maybe sixth grade. Our father Cassio decided it was a good idea for him to coach camp and be the Doctor Doom so that's that's a real nice setup for all your fun you wanted to have when your dad's in charge of (laughs) the policing of everything and i made the mistake of following david gunn over from hedges where the basketball camp was staying trying to get over to another dorm where the montana state was holding a cheerleading camp and in about 12 (laughs) yards into our walk to said dorm here comes dr doom Who's my father? And that ended with us putting uh, bleachers up and down in throughout Brick Breed Field House for the first session, like two hours the next day. And his eyes they whited out, and that was the end of our mischief as sixteen-year-olds at Montana State.
3: Oh, that's classic, Doctor Doom. Doctor <laughs> Doom. Sorry.
0: So. When we're coaching now in camp. Do you take anything from when you were a camper for all those years? Now, when you because that's part of the gig. All coaches out there know you got to run camps now. Whether you're the head coach and you got to sign somebody to do it, assistants are running it to increase their paychecks. Like, do you utilize some of your memories in dealing with all these kids at your camps?
3: A hundred percent. I think early on, especially early in my career at Montana State. When I was, I helped coach Jason McAdoo and, and coach Rob Kristoff, who were the camp coordinators, and help organize and, and help run it. You take certain things that you loved about those camps and you yep. try to implement them as much as you can, and, uh, specifically just to make sure that the kids are having fun, to make sure that it's a enjoyable experience. Like we obviously have fond memories of, of those camp days. And those yeah. memories last a, last a lifetime. And if you can make those memories last a lifetime for kids, that was what kind of I was trying to make happen as much as mm-hmm. I possibly can. Yeah. And I
0: think when you're when you, from a head coach's perspective when you're in charge of the overall camp operation you remember the holes in security or the holes in coverage that you could exploit I mean, like listen between dinner and the next time we got to be back for lecture we got plenty of time to go to the dorms and do what we want
3: <laughs> and so you try to figure out all right what's the balance
0: between where do I need to position my staff and where do you let the kids have a little bit of fun in the
3: meal stream in the middle of campus? Yes, yes, I, I would agree with that. I think that you can think back as a kid about ways in which camps were awesome. And you can think back of ways in which you absolutely were miserable as a camper <laughs> because of, well, something, something wasn't right, something had happened. So you try and make sure that that doesn't happen at your camp. Yep. Well, hey, does, have you do, noticed? You ever, remember, I'm does a, this happen? Go ahead. So going back to a sports camp that we were forced to attend back in, I think we were probably ten. You were maybe thirteen, somewhere in that age, and mom signed us up for a YMCA sports camp.
0: Oh, no disrespect to the YMCA, but no, none was whatsoever.
3: The worst experience this camp in particular was just not very well run. It was it was disorganized. The camp coaches had no clue what they were doing, and. No. Unfortunately for us, or not unfortunately, fortunately, our mother, who is not is outspoken. Afraid, outspoken, not afraid of confrontation, to say the least, <laughs> made sure that this camp experience was going to go right for us over the last couple of days of camp, because every day we would come home and complain about this, this, this. And so I know that experience stuck with me, that I didn't want to be that camp that kids came home to and, and, and complained about.
0: No, and you don't want, for example, our, Rhonda Ione, our mother, in your face at check-in during camp. So you better make sure. The, that's a great point. You have communication ready, and it's very clear-cut to the, to the campers and the parents what's about to go down. Because I know driving around in that van for the YMCA sports camp for four hours a day and getting some Wendy's wasn't what we were signed up to do.
3: No. No, it was not, and and that's funny to, to mention the the camp mom, the that mom that's going to come yep. up and make sure she has her opinion heard. Yep. We all have had that happen to us. Those co- all of us coaches that are a part of camps, and yep. our mom was always going to be that mom. And so it's funny Perfect. to think that that uh, yeah, I, I made sure wanted to make sure that we didn't have to deal with any of our moms' uh, rants or uh, rages.
0: The, didn't they send you to a camp in Utah? I'm yeah. almost positive they put you on a plane to go to a basketball no, that, camp a in plan. Utah.
3: Not a plane. We, we drove myself and a good buddy of mine, Trevor Mates, and his dad got into a car and drove to Salt Lake City, Utah, to be a part of the Rick Majeris hoop Camp. And it was in
0: hindsight, that's freaking awesome. It was but awesome. at the time. It was a what the hell moment. It was
3: a little bit like this was between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, if I remember correctly. Or actually, you know yep. what? It was between it was eighth, eighth grade and ninth grade. going to ninth. Yep, eighth yeah. grade going to ninth grade, and it was uh, an opportunity that my parents felt I I couldn't pass up. And at the time, I was going really Salt Lake. But uh, looking <laughs> back on it, to be honest with you, looking back on it. I wish that I would have – not that I didn't have a good attitude going into it, and I enjoyed it. Trevor and I had a great mm-hmm. time. We got to meet Andre Miller was one of the camp Which, uh, yeah. coaches. Um, Keith Van Horn was still there. Mike Doliak, do you remember that name?
0: That's, a, that's an Oregonian. Now then, that I've, I've moved out here and found out Doliak's a legend in Oregon.
3: Mike Doliak was a, was a camp coach and counselor, and his youngest brother was on my team. Oh, uh, was he camp. as
0: tall? Was he going to be a monster?
3: No, he was not as tall, nor was he as good. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the doliac, so he got plenty of attention. Yeah, uh, But it was it was a great time, great experience. But I look on it now and I go, you know what? I didn't realize that at that point, that was a tool that could potentially be used as a recruiting tool now. You know, you look back on oh, it now. Yeah,
0: you never thought about that. You yeah. never
3: thought about that as a kid going from eighth to ninth grade about, oh, my gosh, there's Rick Majerus, there's Andre Miller, there's all these Utah coaches. And coaches coming up and, talk to, and talking to you about, you know, where you're from, uh, blah, blah, blah. You don't really look at it and go, man, I wonder if maybe yeah. I could have been recruited to the University of Utah, you know, mm-hmm. over the course. It's it's a weird feeling looking back on it now, knowing yeah, what camps just, have become I remember you were
0: excited. Now. To just bring back a Utah basketball, and you said yeah. you got to play one-on-one against Andre Miller when he was on TV in the tournament that year. Exactly. It, it was never like, man, I should get make sure Majeros has my email, and I'm going to text, text him and <laughs> exactly. make sure I follow up with him. Abs- exactly. No, you're totally right.
3: Exactly. When some of the coaches were literally taking the time out of their day to pull me aside and, and you know, hey, I've seen you, watched you do this, this, and this, I never thought at the time, like, hey, that, that was awesome as far as him being a coach and doing what he did. That maybe I should have followed up with that guy (laughs) two (laughs) years later and been like, "Hey, remember me?" Or maybe more uh, importantly, gone back to the camp. No, yeah, you never went back. Two years later, and and continued to progress and be seen by these coaches over the course of four years. Nowadays, that's kind of what camp is. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's
3: it's nothing but a recruiting tool when it's all said and done.
0: Right, and you know, I want to find out where in the hell was I. Did I have to go to a football camp? Was did Leb probably had his football camp in the hundred degree heat? You got to go to the Huntsman Center where Magic and Bird played and we're running wing T out in the in the fields of Skyview.
3: That's exactly – to be honest, I think that's exactly what it was. You had football Uh, camp. I got a chance to go to basketball camp. Oh,
0: great segment. Way back when. Go jump back to the beginning in the podcast stream on SoundCloud. Talking about camp experience of ours, you know, and how it's evolved today. But I'm sure it will bring up memories for everybody out there. Regardless if it was basketball camp, Boy Scout camp, whatever, camping was the place to be. and still is, hopefully, for some kids out there nowadays. Across the Streams, Episode 3.